This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Dignity is something the state and most nonprofits never afford people. Mm -hmm. Um, And a big part of mutual aid is not seeing people, a constituent, a client, you know, but like we are the same. You are in a different set of circumstances and I want to help with that, you know, and I believe that you have things to offer to the community. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This week on Crossing Division, I am absolutely delighted to speak with Zoe Greeter, who is a member of one of the organizations in Tacoma that I really care about. This is the Tacoma Mutual Aid Collective, and they're a group who provide direct outreach and assistance to folks in Tacoma who are homeless or without a house. Uh, And I'm sure they do a lot more than that too, but that's how I became aware of them. And I wanted to uh, talk with Zoe today about their programs and about, you know, our homelessness issues in Tacoma and how people can help with all of this. So Zoe, welcome. Really so happy to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So start out by telling me, um, what is Tacoma Mutual Aid Collective and how did it get started? Because I wasn't really aware of this organization until mm, probably about a year ago. More than anything, we're just a group of neighbors in Tacoma that care about the people around us um, and each other. And we work together to um, meet needs that aren't being met by the government or nonprofit organizations. Mutual aid is a philosophy of kind of revolutionary action that we're bringing each other along with. So, um, so tell me a little bit more about that. The idea of I I like this philosophy that the that um, the government uh, and our particular our capitalist system isn't really going to be able to meet everyone's needs, and so neighbors are coming together to try to fill in. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, absolutely. We started as a group as folks at the Northwest Detention Center occupation in 2018. Um, And those of us that were living in Tacoma decided we wanted to keep organizing together. A lot of us in that group were houseless at the time, um, had all kinds of stuff going on. And we really just solidified our need for each other. And I personally was houseless at the time. And one of one of the other members of the group took me into her house for a year to help me get back on my feet. And I did. So it was just that general kind of seeing need at first amongst each other while also, you know, examining what's going on in the community. But we knew how much power we had as organizers in the occupation and saw that and saw what alleviating some of our stresses and problems were could do for being able to do work that we're really proud of. How, how did you um, sort of evolve from being at the detention center to then looking around your neighborhoods 
at the needs of people who were houseless? Yeah, so we developed really strong relationships with one another at the occupation. And we didn't set off with houselessness as being the the kind of lead project that we work on, the lead issue that we're trying to tackle. Um, but things just kind of worked out that way. We all were already involved with the houseless community, um, whether or not we were housed in Tacoma. You know, a lot of us were doing this kind of work of distributing supplies, whatever, on our own. Mm -hmm. And so when we came together, it was kind of where are our strengths? What do we know? What networks are we a part of? Because that becomes such a huge part of organizing. Mm -hmm. And since so many of us were already doing this work, it just kind of naturally led into continuing it. How many people are sort of in your core organizing group? That's a tricky question. So there are five of us that have been here since the beginning that have not like dropped off in one way or another. Our organizing platform currently has over 70 people on it. Most of that has, all of that has happened since this summer. And most of that has happened in the last few months. Mm -hmm. So we're very excited about the growth we've been able to see and people coming in with ideas or skills or anything. Um, and we've really been able to grow the organization this year. Mm -hmm. I know you recently had a project where you were gathering um, winter supplies for people uh, at, at the Hilltop Rite Aid or out in the parking lot. Is, is that the sort of thing that you generally do or is that just one of the many things? That's one of the many things. We have a lot going on, but that is probably our most prominent and most consistent since the beginning project that we've got going on. So we're perpetually collecting supplies for distribution always and have kind of organized this winter's event, this winter's collection as more of a campaign to keep people involved. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been very effective. Mm -hmm. uh, what other types of activities are you involved in? What are sort of your current priorities? So our probably largest project is working with the houseless community in various ways. We do distributions of warming supplies and camping supplies and, you know, anything folks ask for. We also have recently picked back up doing our um, laundry days. Uh, this most recent one, we were able to have people set up at six different laundromats around Tacoma. And we collectively across the locations did more than $2,000 worth of laundry wow. for folks that couldn't afford it. Um, it was really incredible how people came through and volunteers, especially that's where we got a lot of these newest batch of volunteers. It's been amazing to see how passionate people are about making things like this happen. We also have a grocery program that we started about two days into the eviction or the stay at home order in March. Yeah. One of the things I love about organizing this way is that there's no red tape. There's no anything. It was this thing is happening. I've got this idea. Are people on board? All right, let's do it. And we got it up in like 48 hours. And that is one of the things I love so much about mutual aid. And we've kind of taken a role doing a lot of crisis response mm -hmm. in various ways 
So how does yeah. the how does the grocery program work? Tell me a little bit about that one. Yeah, so we have a group of shoppers and drivers. There's a sign up form online and people request to have groceries delivered. Um, initially, it was folks that were quarantining or couldn't leave, but it's just kind of expand. like everyone's affected by COVID. So I believe the shopping limit is $50 and we will go purchase more if the family is bigger. And we will have one of our shoppers go out and get food and any specific food, specific supplies requested, and then do a porch drop off. If people want more than that and have cash or whatever, we can do that as well. Um, We've done a little bit of like picking up people's prescriptions and stuff. It's mostly just trying to meet those needs. And we've got a lot of folks that for whatever reason aren't able to work with a food bank or any of the other options for groceries. And so we have been, yeah, doing that for 10 months now, um, which is wild to think about. How many, um, how many folks do you think are taking advantage of the, of that grocery delivery program? That sounds like a really brilliant program. Yeah. Um, I am not actually sure. I think it's been lately more like five to 10 a week mm-hmm. at the beginning. Like one of the the stumbling blocks we had with this program was the overwhelming demand at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so it took us a couple months to really work through the backlog and getting things smoother. And yeah, it's running really smoothly now. That's good. One nice thing about that, too, it seems like um, some of the people taking advantage of that, especially if they're not otherwise, you know, sort of connected in, is mm-hmm. that is that you can kind of do a little bit of a welfare check, too, just to make yeah. sure folks are OK. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, during this uh, pandemic, you know, because of the nature of it, we're all sort of tucked away on our own. Um, having someone to check on people is really uh, important. Yeah. So we're in, after someone submits an application, we are in communication with them until the the delivery is made. And we've got some people that use it consistently mm-hmm. um, and some that are more a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. And can, can people um, apply for that um, through your website? Yes. Well, all right then. In addition to, we've talked a little bit about the laundry program, um, the grocery program, how how do you go about determining what people need um, when they are out living on the streets, either, you know, in a grouping or on their own in a tent? How do you make contact with them? Yeah, so we have relationships with a lot of different camps. Um, a lot of them, in the beginning, it was just they already knew one of us. We just ask people what they need. Is there anything we can get you? A lot of people struggle with approaching people, especially like someone new. And we dealt with that a little bit in the beginning, not in the main camps that we served, but um, venturing out. But we've gotten to a place where a lot of the community knows who we are. And there are so many other groups going out that people are getting more used to being served that way. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, we just go up and you, especially now with COVID distance, whatever, maybe it's just standing near some tents 
and just say like, hey, we've got these supplies. Does anyone need anything? Starting out with cigarettes is always um, a good introduction. Mm -hmm. People get over their nerves a little when when there are cigarettes. So yeah, and then we do the same thing, but we've, we're far from the only group that does meal distribution, but we do hot meals. Um, and yeah, folks are, folks are just used to seeing us around at this point. I think having the offering cigarettes is a really brilliant icebreaker. I yeah. Mean, you know, people definitely know that you're not um, probably with a church group or not with um, any official um, program that yeah. they might have concerns about. Yeah, it definitely sets a certain tone mm -hmm. about who we are. Well, let me ask you about that one, because I think I saw a post on social media where someone was sort of challenging you on why are you providing cigarettes to people? And, I'll, and I know that sometimes uh, your group, as it's available, provides, you know, marijuana as well. And the question was, you know, how, how come you're providing these things that may not be good for people to them? And what was your response? Yeah, to that? definitely. We run into that question or challenge a lot. And the simplest answer is anything that housed people get to enjoy, unhoused people deserve to enjoy. Like luxury is for everyone. And also things like that aren't luxuries. Like marijuana, like most people on the street have some kind of physical, mental, chronic pain disability and it's literally medicine you know living on the street is anxiety inducing like having to stay up to watch your stuff sleeping on a hard surface you know just hyper vigilance that you've got to keep so most people do something that's not good for them right to alleviate stress right like I do most people do mm -hmm. um and if you are too much in crisis to calm down enough to work with someone to try and access resources. People get really confused about how easy it is to access resources. And it is so, so difficult to go looking for help, um, let alone actually find it. That if you are not well enough, it's impossible. We tell people a lot that like if you want to get connected with the housing authority or something, you have to have a phone with minutes, a charger and a power source. You have to call 211 where they will give you a list of phone numbers for you to then call yourself. They won't tell you what to do. Our 211 operators try really hard. Um, we've dealt with them, but they have very, very little power. Then you have to continue to have all of that charge and stuff to make more phone calls, arrange some kind of visit, figure out your transportation, who's going to watch your stuff, you know, are you able to like have a conversation with someone? Are you too deep in crisis to have that kind of executive functioning? Like that kind of executive functioning takes so much. Mm -hmm. um, and if your basic needs aren't being met, if you're in pain, that's next to impossible. So yeah, let people enjoy a cigarette, you know, like <laughs> um, people smoke weed. It's legal here. Like have a fucking joint that 
if that takes the stress off for five minutes, it's worth it. Yeah. Um, I think what I, what I love about that is first of all, you are being human. You know, you are saying to this other person, I know you have needs. I'm here to help you. If I can do something small that will bring you some pleasure or measure of calm, I want to help with that. And so I think that is really a very nice, small, important way of um, sharing dignity with a person who may not experience a whole lot of dignity otherwise. Absolutely. Um, And that's dignity is something the state and most nonprofits never afford people. mm -hmm. Um, And a big part of mutual aid is not seeing people, a constituent, a client, you know, but like, we are the same. You are in a different set of circumstances and I want to help with that, you know, and I believe that you have things to offer to the community. I believe that we are are all part of a network of care and that we won't be able to reach everybody, even if we had capacity, like that's not how networking works. So helping lift people up helps us connect to more folks. They can connect to more folks. And, and that's how we solve things. We have to depend on each other. And part of that is seeing people as whole, complete people deserving of dignity and respect and not a transactional relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's pause here. We'll take a short break and come back. And then I want to talk about, you know, what particular needs um, folks have and, um, and other ideas you have. Okay. Great. This is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding pass isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer. You can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation. Those are the thoughtful details that make me choose Alaska Airlines every time I fly domestically. When you're ready to travel, rest easy, because Alaska's got this. Skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight. Thank you, Alaska Airlines, for making travel smoother, and thank you for your support, Channel 253. We're back. Um, Before we start talking more about um, the needs of the Tacoma Mutual Aid Collective and the many neighbors that they assist, I wanted to do a shout out for Channel 253 membership. If you are not already a member of Channel 253, you can become a member. It is $4 a month or $40 a year. And uh, it helps to cover the costs of our making these podcasts. 
I think that we are becoming an important part of um, the stories and communications and um, dialogue in Tacoma and in Pierce County. Um, we cover stories that some of our mainstream media um, folks just just don't have the time or space for. So I hope you will consider becoming a Channel 253 member. And Zoe, now I'd like to turn to, to sort of like, what are the things that you're seeing out in the community? Um, well, let's start first with this. What are the things you're seeing out in the community that, that cause you concern? You know, what are the things that you're seeing that you think, boy, this is a bad trend, or we need to start coming up with some strategies for this problem? Well, yeah, there are so many. Mm. <laughs> I'd say the current like big crisis that we're focused on there's so many all the time, but every winter, the weather is deadly. We've, there've been at least five people that have died mm -hmm. from exposure this year already, um, or this winter and keeping people warm and alive is the biggest priority. The city is incapable of handling the issue. They're talking about opening up another warming shelter, but it's not enough. It's never enough until we can actually just put people in housing. We're big believers in the housing first model. You can't do anything without housing. But I know in addition to the warming center, which they, they plan to open, I'm not exactly sure when they are going to open it up in the Northeast Tacoma at North Point. And it's not that big. I mean, I think it's like 25 people. Yeah. I have near where I live uh, is the uh, sixth and orchard, um, micro shelter program. And again, the tiny houses, there's there are not very many of them either. Um, do, you, do you think that that type of a program um, we should see more of? Because I, I agree with you. I mean, somehow the city hasn't been able to come up with anything um, that actually immediately provides assistance. I, mean, I think they have long-term goals and discussions, but it's like tonight, it's going to be in the 30s. Tonight, yeah. what are people supposed to do? Exactly. The most immediate thing that the city could do, I believe, is to rent out hotels mm -hmm. and rent out rooms for everyone while we figure things out. COVID is such a big issue with housing people collectively. I know it's very up in the air who in shelters is going to get the vaccine um, whether it's just going to be the staff um, and how long until people living there. Um, and also understanding that those populations shift constantly, that most places do not, you don't have a set spot until you come back at 7 p.m. to sign up for the next night. Like most shelters do not give you a guaranteed next day spot when you leave in the morning. And yeah, I know we've got a few daytime warming shelter options, but almost all of the shelters you have to be on from like seven to seven, usually something around that. And I think it's also worth mentioning that one of the biggest challenges to the city solving this problem is their own numbers. The city just calculates the homeless population through the point in time count. Um, which they're not doing this year. It's usually third week of January where they're supposed to be counting people that are living in any kind of like non-secure housing. And 
the way the city does this, usually they capture about 10% of the people living on the street. I know a couple of years ago, they said there was like 400 and it estimates were closer to 4,000 in Pierce County. <laughs> this year, by their numbers, I think they said like 320 something people were living on the street. Like I, I personally know more people than like go up and down Yakima and you'll find that many people. But they they base all of their targets on, you know, on shelter numbers, on all of these things based on that count. When we also have the coordinated entry system, which every um, shelter group, people in that field have one application into the whole thing. And I believe it was the state that actually changed it in the last year that like just about anything except living on the street will allow you into those services. If you are staying with a friend, doesn't count, even if that lasts for two days. You have to say a very specific set of things to get let in to the entire service system. Mm. And they didn't tell anyone about that. So a lot of people, when that change happened, didn't know that they were disqualified and then got, you know, rejected. So the city, if they care so much about data, they should get better data. Um, and they can talk to just about anyone about this, anyone working with folks on the street knows what's up mm -hmm. do you We've, do you get contacted by anyone from the city or county I mean, do they do they reach out to you to say hey what are you seeing zoe because i mean folks in positions like you i mean i certainly i i may drive past areas and i may have some ideas but you really know i mean you're talking to people is anyone kind of trying to get that valuable information out of you yes and no like mostly no mm -hmm. <laughs> We occasionally get invited to, like the mayor's doing that forum about safe shelter. I had to miss the first one. I'm going to try and make the second one. Um, we get invitations like that. Sometimes, like speaking at city council or something, the mayor will be like, yeah, I want to talk to you. That's never happened. Mm -hmm. um, the mayor follows us on Facebook. <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? But the recognition of kind of experience and expertise, I would say primarily happens between the various like mutual aid, like non nonprofit groups that do this work. Mm -hmm. And shout out to the People's Assembly who's trying to get us all together um, to be more coordinated throughout the city. Really looking forward to that endeavor. But I think they know we won't have anything good to say about them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's why it's they hard. don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll say this. I think, I think the city, and, I'll, and I'm going to try to be talking to more people about this, but I, I think that they are grappling with not quite being able to figure out what they can do that would be effective. And um, it's very, I'll say, it's very difficult for government to move out of the um, here's a problem that we need to study frame of mind, right? You know, they study, okay. study, study, study. And that's not a bad thing, but it doesn't help anyone tonight. Yeah. You know, um, and, and making that transition from 
you you need to have both. You need to have some people really thinking and studying, but you also need to have folks who are providing assistance today. Yeah. And nothing is more important than getting people off the street, roof over their heads. Do you find that the folks that you're working with, are they are they interested in something like tiny houses or would they prefer to stay in a tent for the time being until something like an apartment might be available? So I would say the biggest barrier in that whole situation is that things like tiny homes have an incredible amount of rules. Mm. Um, There are so many things that will disqualify you from being able to stay. In addition, they have really like severe security measures that make people really uncomfortable. Like what, what would be an example of that? Like if they won't let people leave overnight, there's a gate, there's cameras everywhere. So in order for them to have the security that they think is important, it may be an environment that a lot of people find really inhospitable and uncomfortable. Yeah, like who wants to be watched in in their home? Mm-hmm. You know, people that use drugs are excluded from those programs. Yeah, there are, mm-hmm. there are so many reasons mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that it is not an ideal situation, let alone the fact that it creates this kind of multiple classes of housing. You know, are we going to keep building tiny homes instead of facing the problem of getting people into a real home. Yeah. But also plenty of people, there is high demand for the tiny homes just Mm -hmm. as something that exists. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people would choose a tiny home over an apartment or a hotel room. Mm -hmm. Um, But as one of the only options, people like there is demand for it. And yeah, there's a lot of issues with how those programs are run, how they get set up. When they started the MLK one, they paid Lehigh more than $400,000 to just to operate. They weren't responsible for building. They weren't responsible just operating the camp um, for like eight months, I think. There were no social workers for the first several weeks, like no people helping anyone with their case. The kitchen caught on fire because of bad electrical like a week in and took them forever to get fixed. There was no food. There were no cooking supplies. They ran out of toilet paper over the holidays and couldn't reach anyone. Volunteers build all of the tiny homes and volunteers end up being a lot of who serves the people that live there. You know, I don't know about the newest one specifically. Hopefully they've gotten their act together, but we spend an incredible amount of money on stop gaps that don't fix much. You know, I know they certainly do get people out of tiny homes and into housing um, and there is turnover and there are a lot of benefits to tiny houses, especially over nothing. Yeah. Um, but it's not a real solution yeah. and we have to admit that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. I think it may be a stopgap. Um, yeah. And then and then I think you do have some questions about, is that the best stopgap that we can come up with? Um, other than, you know, just the fact that people need more housing, they need more security uh, and to be safe. 
what are some of the things that your group is providing? What are the items that are just continuously in demand when you go out to uh, the camps and talk to folks? Yeah, so the biggest demands are always tents and tarps, mm-hmm. um, plus like rope and duct tape to and bungee cords to secure that stuff. There's usually one of the biggest demand items is socks, but we've actually had an incredible influx of socks from mm-hmm. all over, like so many different places. We've been getting some hand sanitizer from the health department, I think. So we haven't had to worry about too much demand for that. Um, always sleeping bags, blankets, lamps, um, especially like solar powered, um, and especially the ones that you can charge things off of. Mm. There are propane heaters that are individual size that are actually like out of stock most places. Pretty much every mutual aid group in the PNW is buying up the Mr. Heater little buddies. And so we're constantly trying to find them, but those are very, very helpful. We, for the first time in this last um, distribution, bought some fire extinguishers and those were super high in demand. We talked to the fire department and they could not get us any. But firewood, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of the camps have little bonfires because what else are they going to do first aid kits and supplies for those what do folks do are um some of the groups or the encampments do they have access to running water or any um bathroom facilities or is that pretty much a catch almost none of them um especially right now during covid because like park bathrooms are still closed Mm -hmm. and most public facilities are completely closed for one reason or another with COVID. One of the things that we're trying to get the city on board with, we've reached out, we're trying to get the Human Rights Commission to help and a few others, is getting porta-potties, hand-washing stations, Mm -hmm. sharps containers, regular trash pickup. Um, There's another group reaching out, 253, and they do dump runs all over. You know, if they can get any type of heating like that would be great but yeah people people don't have bathrooms and not only does that make things really difficult it's really demoralizing (laughs) yeah and then the the like safety supplies like I was talking about a fire extinguisher you know any of that standard first aid if any of that stuff could be set up for camps and like with Yakima you could put a set every 10 blocks yeah um and that would be walking distance for most people so yeah there are ideas um we definitely have a lot of ideas about how to make the situation a little better but getting anyone to pay for those like paying for porta potties even one set is completely out of our reach it would really have to come from the city yeah we are working on seeing if we can build some hand washing stations I had seen an article, and this is like more than a year ago, so maybe two years, a year and a half ago, of a guy in Seattle who was making, um, you know, portable toilets. And it sounds completely um, gross, but it actually is kind of brilliant, I think. And that is a box of kitty litter. You know, the kitty litter comes in big boxes, like 48-pound boxes. 
for about, you know, $8. And he was uh, attaching toilet sheets to, to that. So you can turn your box of kitty litter into a toilet, basically. And then you just, you know, have a litter um, rake like you do for your cats and clean it out yeah. and, and throw the, um, you know, the urine and feces away. And it, and I, again, I sort of, I was talking about to my husband saying, I think that's kind of brilliant. I mean, you could have one, you know, you could always have a tent set aside with a bathroom. So, so in the middle of the night, if someone has to go to the bathroom, they don't have to go out, you know, go somewhere else. And he wasn't too, he thought that sounded terrible, but I actually think it sounds better than not having anything. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the solution, like we've built composting toilets or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, camping, whatever. Yeah. Um, numerous times and Mm -hmm. yeah, you can use kitty litter or wood shavings Mm. line, a five gallon bucket with plastic bags and just keep layering. Um, yeah. I mean, you do, you do a, to survive, right? I mean, you do what you have yeah. to do. And so a lot of camps have like done that for themselves. Mm-hmm. But then if you're not getting regular waste pickup, you've right. got plastic bags full of kitty litter and human waste yeah, or wood not... shavings and human waste. Yeah. And that like, that's inevitable in many, if they don't <laughs> do something about it. Um, well, this is the thing that I, that I think about a lot. I think about, some of the open lots we have in downtown and that if you could set up, you know, a couple of porta potties, um, a barbecue grill area where people could cook and a water station where they could, you know, wash their hands and prepare that you would have a much more sanitary situation than just having people sort of out randomly wherever they might be. Um, and I really think as a matter of health, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but you know, they're in places where people can't access, um, toilets and have access to plumbing. That's where you're going to get diseases like cholera and dysentery and all of the things that we're supposed to be moving past with our modern society. But if we're not providing people with the tools to, you know, have the the sanitation they need. I, I don't see how we can keep people from uh, getting sick and having increased um, health issues. Yeah, and that also becomes an issue with like vermin, that, mm-hmm. and food waste. Um, I know there are a couple of camps that are trying to figure out a rat problem right now, and that that just becomes inevitable when it's not being taken right. care of. Like it's not anyone's not nope. trying to avoid stuff like everyone is trying to avoid that but if you're not getting dump runs then you're gonna get things that eat trash yeah I mean let me assure you in in, in every house here in Tacoma if you had a pile of refuse that was not picked up out you know beside your house you will very quickly have rats yeah and it's very easy for rhetoric around people not caring about their living space people not caring about stopping things like that from happening when that's so far from the truth like every nobody wants to live like that um there's been a lot of really dangerous rhetoric around the houseless population in Tacoma um I don't know if you heard about Patrick a few weeks back but 
the sixth and M camp who we work with pretty regularly, we've got multiple people that live like right there. A housed person came and attacked two native women shouting about them being native with like a baseball bat piece of plywood, whether it was plywood or a baseball bat Mm -hmm. has been, but like, who cares? Right. (laughs) And then a, a black man stepped out of his tent to defend these women and um, was shot and murdered. And like the city didn't provide victim services to these two women. Like we connected them with victim services through a nonprofit. You know, his friends were coming and threatening them with knives afterward. He was released on $50,000 bail. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, just a whole mess on so many fronts. And I don't think any one official has done enough to try and stop that kind of rhetoric, stop that kind of information and really like actually punish in some way people that engage in that stuff. And it's been building and building. And, you know, unfortunately we expect more of that, honestly, and that's both local and national. And, but it's just tragedy after tragedy that, if they just bought some people, some hotel rooms. Uh. Well, let's, this is why your group is so important, um, Zoe, because there is a marked lack of compassion. I would say even good people may do horrible things or say horrible things because they don't want to understand or look at folks who are having a very hard time and see another human being. They want to make it easy. And the easy answer is there's something that this person is doing that causes this bad situation. Whereas, frankly, the truth is any of us could be in that situation. Many, many people have been through terrible times. And, um, you know, a group like yours, a group like Tacoma Mutual Aid uh, Collective, at least extends compassion and tries to help people with their day-to-day needs. And it's so important. So I'm I'm really very thankful that your group and that you take these efforts on because a lot of people won't. Someone has to. I mean, this is what it means to have a, a community is that everyone needs to be treated as a community member. Thank you. And one of one of the things that brings up for me is that we've had a really incredible shift in the last couple years especially where people are wanting to be more involved outside of the system um they're learning about mutual aid and really feeling called to do something and a big piece of our work is both like bringing those people slowly in and also trying to teach people what else they have to offer other than you know money we're pretty well supported financially and I see some of our biggest wins as people that were just donating that get involved um that realize that they can do more um like obviously redistribute wealth Mm -hmm. please but people figuring out that they have agency in this situation that there are things they can do that they don't have to sit at home and feel helpless about what's going on around them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really looking at expanding some of our educational work and yeah, helping people figure out what they have to help with. On that note, tell me how people can find you. And you've got a Facebook presence and you've yeah, got a Twitter presence. We're on Facebook, Tacoma Mutual Aid-TMAC. We are on Instagram at Tacoma Mutual Aid. We're on Twitter at Aid Tacoma. We've got an email address, Tacoma Mutual Aid Collective at gmail.com. And we have a phone number, uh, 253-319-1191, which we're happy to finally have done because that can sometimes be the easiest way for people to contact us, especially folks we're helping out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've got all kinds of projects in the works. And yeah, we just want to connect with more people, um, help Good. people realize their power. Excellent. Um, well, and I'll say this in the meantime, I know you, you, and it's obvious that you take a great deal of pride in moving people from just donors into active members of your group. But let's also encourage people to make a donation. Um, I know people can find you uh, on PayPal uh, and make a donation that way. And I know you also have lists of uh, needed items on Amazon. Um, Yeah. So we have a few different options. Our PayPal is at Tacoma Mutual Aid and our cash app is Tacoma Aid. We also have Amazon wish lists, which we encourage people if they're able to shop locally, shop literally anywhere else. But it's more important to us that we get things into people's hands. And that is the most convenient thing for a lot of people. So we have both a regular Amazon wish list and then we have one that's specifically for FSA and HSA eligible items if people um, have money in their health savings account and would like to spend it that way. Um, We do have a lot of demand for medications and first aid supplies and stuff. So we've got that list as well. Excellent. Uh, We're almost at the end of our time, but tell me if there's one thing you would like to see um, coming this year, what would it be? That's a really good question. I mean, if it's one thing, it's, it's hotels, it's housing. Yeah, nothing, nothing can truly alleviate not having housing except changing that. Well, you you never know. I mean, we're supposed to see more aid coming in from the federal government related to COVID. And the county, you know, the county may have it to spend. And I think spending it on hotel rooms to get people off the street during the pandemic makes sense to me. Yeah what what could make more sense like not not that we really care to engage with capitalism but you know a lot of those hotels are struggling Mm -hmm. because there's no tourism happening so why not help everyone (laughs) with something really simple like and if they need help finding people to fill those hotel rooms there are so many of us out here that can make that happen you know we we don't believe much can change from electoral politics and that kind of stuff, but they do have the ability to stop these problems in their tracks while we figure out a better solution. Mm-hmm. And so if they want to do one thing, housing now. Okay. We'll put it out there. 
and we will see what we can do. Thank you so much, Zoe. I really appreciate you coming on Crossing Division. Thank you so much for having me. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.